Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. I want you to take your Bible and hold your place in John 21. If you have it with you, hold your place. John 21. I'm going to read some scripture out of John 18. It'll be on the screen for your reading to follow along. Jesus has had the Last Supper with the disciples. He has went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, betrayed by Judas, arrested by the soldiers, and now he has been taken, being taken to the high priest Caiaphas' house to be put on trial for crimes that he is not guilty of, where he will later be beaten within an inch of his life, crucified, and give his life as a ransom for humanity and then raised from the dead. At the supper table in John 13, Jesus says, one of you tonight will betray me. And Simon Peter, as he was accustomed to do, pipes up and says, I'll I'll never betray you. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows twice tonight, you'll deny me three times. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and when the soldiers, the Roman guard and the temple guard show up to take Christ, Peter draws a sword out of his sheath and goes to a, into attack mode to defend his Lord. And, and, and this is what happens when fishermen swing swords. All he does is take a guy's ear off. And then, and then something confusing, because Jesus told him, take, take a sword for your journey, and then he pulls it out and uses it in the garden to defend Christ, and he says, put your sword up. Don't you know that you live by the sword, you die by the sword? What I need to do, what I'm going to do, you don't quite discern or decipher. Put that sword up and let me be arrested. And in the process of going... To this forced trial, the Bible tells us in John 18 and 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple is actually the author of this book. John never refers to himself by the name of John. He refers to himself as that other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. That other disciple, John, was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known to the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel, she was probably 12, 13, 14 years old, that kept the door, she said to Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. 
And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Read verse 18 again with me. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. Underline this phrase and draw your attention to it with me. For it was cold. It was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. I want to preach tonight on this thought. Have you grown cold? Have you grown cold? Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel of John in chapter 18, it, it was not just the weather. Something was taking place in the heart, the spirit, and the being of Simon Peter. The Bible says that he denied him initially here. He would go on to deny him a total of three times. I was in Israel, in Jerusalem, at the very place where they say Caiaphas lived. I was at the place where they say this is the spot where the fire probably was where Peter denied him. Another gospel account tells us that on the third time he denied Jesus in that cold night, that as they brought Jesus down the cobblestone pathway, their eyes met and Peter remembered the word of the Lord that was spoken at the Last Supper. And he went out and wept bitterly. We were standing in this place in Israel while the tour guide was telling this story, and I lie not, Bradley Cook is my witness who was there with me while he was telling that story, a rooster crowed. And I thought to myself how it must have felt in the heart and head of Simon Peter when he found himself letting those words, I don't know him, roll off the tip of his tongue as he made eye contact with the very God he denied Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you in the same way that the temperature is so subject to change, so can the heart of a man or woman who's left unchecked. I have seen the change in heart in hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 20 years since this church has existed, even since we have been to Southside in this temporary season, I have seen the heart of so many change, almost like the seasons that we live in. There are seasons where there's a blistering fire burning inside of men and women of God, and then give them a little while. I hate to say it like that, but we're so accustomed to seeing it. There are so many rising stars and shining stars, but I've seen for so many years, rising stars and shining stars are usually shooting falling stars. How many of you know it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish? I'm not interested in how you come in on two wheels, enthralled with the new car smell of a new church. I'm more interested in how will your temperature read 12 months from now. I'm more interested in how you'll be 24 months down the road when you've got accustomed that these people aren't perfect. 
when you finally figure out that me and you don't agree on everything 100%, how is it going to be after the new has worn off and the flicker of the flame has begun to die down a little bit? I have seen them lack passion over time. I've seen them fade from the frame over time. I've seen them become absent from the action. And I ask this question, have you ever experienced the coldness of heart? Have you ever experienced the coldness of soul and the coldness of your Christian relationship that you have with God? Maybe you're in here tonight and you are frigid and frozen in your seat because there is more going on beneath the surface of your flesh than just a temperature change. Maybe you're in this room and you can't even remember the last time you wept tears of joy in an altar. Maybe it's been years since you have walked in the fullness of the Holy Ghost and allowed his passion, love, and fruit and gifts to flow through your life. I don't want to assume the night just because I'm getting close to the source of heat and because it's getting good up here on the platform and there's a stir in this room that everybody's on board with what God's doing. I don't want to assume time night as a pastor being misled that everybody is plugged into heaven's outlet and everybody is getting a hold of that juice. I don't want to assume that just because you're in this room hearing the sound of my voice and the word of God is being preached and the spirit of God is stirring. Some of you tonight, you need a pulse check. I'm afraid to raise my voice. I can't tell if you're asleep or dead. Somebody needs to shake you. Somebody needs to nudge you. Some of y'all need to notify your face that you're in church tonight. And maybe some of us need a heart check. Maybe we need a temperature check because over time we've grown cold. We've got accustomed to the things of God. We've got used to the worship. We've got used to the praise. We've got used to his presence. We've got used to his glory. We've got used to his holiness. We've got used to people getting saved. We got used to people going to an altar. We got used to the fire being preached. We got used to the Holy Ghost moving. We got used to heaven falling in our earthly domain. We've got used to God walking the aisles. We've got used to Holy Ghost conviction. We've got used to the preaching of sin. We've got used to the reality that hell is hot and heaven is high and Jesus is holy. Is there a reason tonight that we cannot clear ourselves off a spot right now and rejoice in the reality and the truth that there is no other name like the lovely, lofty name of Jesus. I've got more reason to stand in those chairs than we do to sit in them. Somebody help me rejoice. Come on, come on, come on. I didn't come over here for some frozen, chosen ice skate in the aisle church service. I came over here to get it turned to get it crunk, to get it going, to get it falling, to get it moving. I need a witness if you know there's no other place I'd rather be than in his, than in his presence. Lord, help me preach this thing. I feel like I'm pregnant with preach tonight. I got to deliver this baby. I stared at the ceiling for a good majority of the night. 
I said I went to church somewhere this morning and I was present but wasn't present. This was just running through my soul. I said, God, I just want to help these people that I love. I want to just get real. I want to preach out of my own past. And preach out of my own pain. Preach out of my own weariness and my own burnout. Take me back to the charred wicks where the flame died. And take me, take me back to those seasons where I was battling depression. And take me back to those times where I thought I'd never minister again. Take me to them places where the weight of the ministry responsibility was more than my fleshly mind. Just take, just take me, take me back to all that stuff and let me preach out of it. How many of you know God is so God and so sovereign that he, he will allow what happened to you to end up happening through you? I want to make a few observations about our character tonight in correlation with the actual gospel account. I promise you if you stay with me, we'll get there and it'll be good. But if y'all want to have a staring contest, this church service ain't going to be that good. Y'all helped me preach last week. We got beyond entertainment, theatrics, and dramatics, and the Spirit of God just sat in this place last week and helped us. I'd like to do that again, but it's going to take our participation. I promise you, if you stay with me, we'll get there together. I want to talk briefly about the conditions of growing cold. The Bible tells us that Peter followed Jesus, and Luke who writes of the same story, tells us a little more detail, which is usually the case with Luke being a Gentile physician. He's a little more detailed and specific. And he tells us that when Peter followed Jesus to Caiaphas' house, he followed him from afar off. This is the same dude that sat there at the supper table and banged his hand on the triclinium table and looked Christ in the eye and said, I'll never deny you or betray you. I'll go with you to prison and to death. And here he is being taken to trial, and Peter's following from afar off. The same guy that walked up the Mount of Transfiguration. The same guy that made an overstated commitment is now walking from a distance. And when they get to the door, Jesus goes in, but Peter stays at the threshold. That's how it happens. You're still following. You're just doing it at a distance. And every step you let get between you and God that takes them a little further, the colder and colder and colder you get. The Bible says something interesting. It doesn't just tell us about the distance that got created within the relationship, but also there was another condition. The cold became very dangerous to this relationship. He's warming himself by the enemy's fire. Did you notice that? He is standing outside and camping out with the very crowd that is trying to kill his king. One of the very evidences that you're growing cold is that you will try to find warmth next to foreign fire. I ain't got time to run that like I want to, but you, I'll let the Holy Spirit fill in the blank. The world's fire was never meant to suffice. 
The economy of this planet will never fill the void that God was designed to fill in your life. And Peter is now camped out by the enemy's fire. And the Bible tells us that his cold began to grow. The closer he got to the foreign fire, the colder his soul got. And we know this because he became cold to Jesus and cold to others. If you'll read the Gospels and all of their narratives, you'll find out Simon Peter the preacher cussed out the team teenage girl he cut it's the equivalent of me going into quick trip to get an energy drink and a Banks County high school student saying aren't you that pastor of new grass blankety blank girl no not association and there's this coldness He's cold to Jesus. He's cold to others. And let me say this in reverse order. Usually the coldness you have towards other people is an indication of the real temperature of your relationship with God. Your compassion level drops. Your patient level drops. I know some of y'all are so saved. You never dealt with that before, but it's for the rest of us. We know what it's like when we find ourselves getting removed from the source of true heat. There's a coldness that begins to creep into our life. A coldness that presented itself and revealed, here we go, the true capability of his flesh. I'll never, I'll never leave you. I'll never, I'll never give up on you. You can count on me. If they're taking you to prison, I'll be there. And if they're going to kill you, I'll be there. And here Simon Peter is saying with his own mouth that he doesn't even know the Christ he just said he was committed to. Have you ever been in a place where you had so much distance and your relationship was in such a place of danger that you looked at how far you were from where you used to be and thought to yourself, I never thought or imagined I could get right here. You ever found yourself in a place like that? Where your relationship with God felt so cold that your relationship with others felt so cold, that your place in the body of Christ became so cold that, that you couldn't even remember how you got where you are. And just like that. What's up with that, by the way? It's so hard getting in and getting committed. But it's so easy. This joker threw away in 30 seconds what it took him three years to build. The conditions, there's distance and there's a danger, but there's also a cost to growing cold. He denies him, the rooster crows, he makes eye contact with Jesus, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. All this is in John 18. Did you know in John 19 is the actual trial, beating, bruising, scourging and crucifixion of Jesus and do you know that you don't see Simon Peter's name anywhere in chapter 19? You know one of the costs of getting cold? You start to miss out on the things you needed to see. You start missing out. Oh, I, let, let, me, let me run this real quickly. Let me tell you what really pains me as a pastor. There will be a word God will give me to deliver to this church, and I will preach it. And as, as I'm preparing it and preaching it, there are particular people that the Spirit of God brings to the forefront of my mind that need the message. And I get up to deliver the mail, and they're not even in the room. 
And I'm like, you needed to hear that. Well, I'll catch the podcast. It's not the same. You weren't in the room where he was at that time. There were some things that God did that you needed to behold. There were things God was doing that you needed to hear for yourself. And how many of you know you miss out when you miss out? Peter's name is not even mentioned. The one time that Jesus needed him, being beaten and scourged and whipped and then nailed to a cross with a gruesome execution, Peter's nowhere around. Chapter 20, the most beautiful chapter in the Gospel of John. On that Easter Sunday morning, the women come to the tomb and they find the stone rolled away and his body is not in the tomb. The linen clothes lay by themselves and the napkin folded into place by itself. And they go and they tell the disciples, somebody has taken away our Lord. We can't find him. And the Bible says in the book of John in chapter number 20 that John and Peter ran to the tomb. John stopped at the door and looked in and saw the clothes and the napkin. And the Bible says that Peter, who, who came after John, John was younger than Peter. He outran Peter, but he stopped at the tomb door, looked in and saw the grave clothes. And then Peter stooped down and went in. There was about a three to four foot opening. You would have to step down in to the tomb. And then when you stepped in, it was a large cave-like room where the body would lay on a table. And there would be a mourner's bench usually built out in the corner for those of the dead to mourn. He stepped in, saw the clothes, saw the napkin, did not know what he was seeing. Dumbfounded, he walked out trying to make sense of what was happening. John then went in, and the Bible says this. He makes a note of this. When John stepped in, he saw the linen clothes, he saw the napkin folded, and John believed. But the dude who went in first, it never tells us he believed. Now, why did John believe? I believe that he saw those clothes laid in a place, not folded, almost like the body had evaporated out of the clothes. If someone had taken the body, the clothes would not have laid in the, in the, in the format that they were. But he saw the napkin folded. Now, in Jewish custom, very quick, little side note commercial. You can thank me later. When you were at the table and you were done eating, you would take the napkin and you would scrunch it up like this and leave it on the table. And when your servant or waiter came by and saw the napkin all bunched up, they knew you were done. And you weren't coming back. But if in Jewish custom you took a napkin and you folded it and set it on the table and left... A folded napkin told the wait staff, I'm gone, but I'm coming back. <laughs> Check this out. Jesus left a little token of evidence behind. And Peter was so cold. I need a sign, Lord. I need an answer, Lord. I need you to speak, Lord. Folded it just for you. I left it where you'd see it. But it was so cold, he didn't believe it. And it's interesting. Jesus ends up on resurrection day appearing to all the disciples in a room. I personally believe it was the same upper room that they gathered in on Pentecost. 
They're in the upper room. They're all trying to figure out what's going on. And the only reason they're there is for fear of the Jews. The same crowd that killed Jesus is now looking for them. They're like, hey, we can do the math here. You run with this guy, we see what happens. We're going to hang out in this room. We're scared to death. I don't know what to think right now. His body wasn't found. The women are saying he appeared. Thomas don't know what to think. He ain't even showing up. Peter, who is usually the outspoken leader, ain't said a word the whole time. And Jesus walks right through the wall. Like doesn't even bother knocking, just shows up right through the wall in his glorified body. It's interesting to note that his glorified body is what we call the first fruits. When the rapture happens on resurrection day, every dead believer, their body will be resurrected. Terrestrial will become celestial. That which is corrupted will put on in corruption, moral puts on immortality. Jesus was the first demonstration and evidence of what that looks like. So he had a body like we're going to have that can actually defy the dimensions of our physical matter and walk through a wall at the same time he can eat. Because he walked in there and he ate. Now I don't know about you, but that made heaven sound a lot more interesting to me. Can you imagine that? Being able to eat all the starchy carbs you want to, and you keep a six-pack year-round. Woo! Chicken wings galore and Papa John. I don't know if John Shatner saved or not, but I guarantee you his pizza's going to be there. And they, they, they didn't know what they were seeing. They, they, they were so blown away by the fact he just walked in the room with his resurrected form, and he showed them his hands and his feet. Here's something interesting. In his glorified state, he still had the scars. He still had the scars from the crucifixion. Here's something that's startling to me. Peter's name isn't mentioned. Now, I do believe he was there. But how cold does Simon Peter have to be where when we're at the pinnacle of our belief and the culmination of Christ's ministry, Peter's not even mentioned. And then in John 21, which is the next chapter, y'all do know that there were no chapter numbers and verse numbers in the original writing. It was just all one big story. And when you get to chapter 21, which is the last chapter, I think it's verse number three. Do we have it? Verse number three. Peter said to them, watch this now. Y'all, I promise you just stay with me. Don't worry about what time it is. Don't worry about dinner. Stay with me, and I promise you the Spirit of God is going to help us in this room tonight. I'm trying to teach y'all how to go to church. You always say, we don't go to church. We be the church. Yes, but a lot of y'all who have learned how to be the church don't know how to go to church. (laughs) So I'm going to teach you how to go to church. It's supposed to be better on the back end than it was the front end. Just just stay with me. And Peter says, it's almost like Peter is so disconnected and disillusioned right here that he says, bump this, I'm going fishing. Now, that doesn't mean anything to someone who's not a student of the word. But where was Peter and what was he doing when Jesus first found him? He was fishing. Now, he, granted, he had a fishing business. Him and his brother owned a fishing business. And if you remember, Jesus came to them in Luke chapter 5 when they were sitting there on the shore cleaning their nets. And Jesus 
got them out in the water, showed them how to catch fish because they couldn't catch anything the night before. And then he looked at them and said, if you'll just follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And he got Peter out of the boat. Then in Matthew 14, he puts him in the boat to go to the other side, and Jesus is up on a mountain praying, and a storm comes, and all hell's breaking loose, and Jesus comes walking on the water, and all the disciples think it's an apparition or a ghost, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come unto thee on the water, and Jesus says, come on, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water to go to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is always getting Peter out of the boat? Peter's always going back to it. And Jesus is always getting him out of it. And in John 21, he's so cold, he has missed the resurrection. He's confounded in the upper room. He goes back to his old life. What is Jesus going to do now? How cold can you get before God says, you ain't worth it? How far can you go? How deep can you go back into your old life before Jesus says, I've had it with this joker. You a dang fool, and I ain't wasting my heavenly eternal time on your sorry backsliding tail. The Bible says in the next verse, John 21 and 4, it says that Jesus stood on the shore. He just keeps showing up. Come on, somebody. He just keeps showing up. If you're in this room and you're running, I want to tell you something. He's going to keep showing up. If you try to get away from his conviction, he's going to keep showing up. If you try to outrun his mercy, he's going to keep showing up. If you try to go to detox and lock him out of a room, he's going to keep showing up. If you go to prison and you think you can keep him in the lobby, he's going to keep showing up. If you leave this church and you go camp out in the woods somewhere, he's going to keep showing up. You can't get away from Jesus. He is bound to pursue you. He is bound to chase you. He is bound to seek you like a shepherd that goes after a sheep astray. He is soon and sure to follow. Somebody help me give him praise. If you know that to be true. They're out there in the boat. Spoiler alert. It's weird. Peter's butt naked fishing. Talk about putting the other disciples in an uncomfortable position. He's out there fishing in verse 5. Look at it. Jesus says, children, have you any meat? Now, verse 4 already told us that they don't know it's him. Don't give them a hard time. We're just as stupid as they are. He's right in front of us, talking to us, giving us counsel, giving us direction compassionately and mercifully referring to us as his own. We don't even recognize him. So cold, so chill, that we can't even discern the tone of his own voice. Children, have you any meat? Did you catch anything, guys? Knowing they didn't. Verse 6, the Bible says, they didn't, and he says, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find, and they cast therefore. And notice this, they couldn't even draw the nets in for the multitude of fishes. I like verse 7 because the Bible says when they were struggling to catch these fish and bring them into the boat, the disciple whom Jesus loved, now who's that? Who's that? Who's the disciple whom Jesus loved? Remember, he's not naming himself. He's the author of this gospel, John. John is sitting in the boat. And he looks at Peter 
And he says, Peter, it is the Lord. Are you getting this? He says, Peter, that's, um, I don't know if you recognize that or not, but that's happened before. And that's the Lord. Better pay attention to the Johns that God puts in your boat. Them people who can see him and hear him when you can't. And thank God Peter grabbed his fisher's coat, cast himself into the sea, and swam to the shore. It's interesting, last time he left the boat, he was walking on water. And this time he's having to swim his way back. I've been in this same spot too in my trip to Israel. I sit on that very shore where the, roll, the, the waves just roll up into the sand. And I could see it in my mind's eye. Peter exhausted from the swim, crawling on the sand and looking up. There's this weird, understood, unspoken between him and Jesus because he missed his crucifixion. He didn't know what to believe about his resurrection. And in his rebellion, Jesus is still pursuing and still persuading. And Peter gets up out of the water, ties his coat, and goes walking over to Jesus. You see the conditions of growing cold and the cost of growing cold, but I want to introduce you in closing to the cure for growing cold. The Bible says in verse number 9, do we have it up there, John 21, 9? And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire. They saw a fire of coals there. Lord, just help me preach this right now. Just put me on and wear me like a suit. Let me be your vessel and your voice for a few minutes. He gets up out of the water, and when he stands up on the shore, directly in front of where Jesus is standing is a fire. It's almost like Jesus made the fire because the last time, the last time that things got out of place, Peter was warming himself by a foreign fire. Oh, God, help me preach this word. And here he is, and Jesus is attempting to put him back in place. And he brings him to a fire. And I almost think it was Jesus' way of saying, my fire still burns for you. Does your fire still burn for me? Oh, God, some of y'all have got to come awake on that one. 
Because there was a time in some of our lives when we were so cold and so far gone and so far away from his word and so far away from his presence, it had been a long, long time since you were able, able to plug into heaven and heaven plug into you. And some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. You might not have been there 2,000 years ago to crawl up out of that ocean and to look upon his face and to see the fire flicker at his feet, but we know what it's like to make our way back to God and find out that Jesus never gave up on us, that Jesus was never done with us, that Jesus never threw us away or put us on the shelf, and God had a way of saying, my fire's still burns for you, and I want to know, does your fire still burn for me? Somebody in the room, help me give him praise if you know Jesus has made you a fire. That fire was a way God used to rekindle Simon Peter. I want your fire to burn again. Who am I preaching to right now? I want your fire to burn again. I'm not talking to all the newbies. I ain't talking to all y'all that are still brand new out of the box with sticker and adhesive on you. I'm talking about the people that have been saved 20, 30 years. I'm talking about the people who have bounced around churches like pinballs. I'm talking to the man or woman in this, in this church that used to be in ministry and you got burned out. You got hurt. You, you, you found yourself swallowed up and smothered in bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm talking to people who walked away from God and thought God would never use them again. I'm talking about preachers who thought they would never preach. People who've been called who would never answer. People who put on the running shoes like Jonah and you've been going the wrong direction like the prodigal son, like a sheep who's gone astray. But I want to tell you, God brought you to new grace and he has lit a fire in this place to remind you and show you, I am not done with you for I am a consuming fire and I'm going to get my man. I'm going to get my my girl, I'm going to get my own. When he had him at this fire, it wasn't just to rekindle Simon Peter, but he, he built this fire to remind him of something. He comes up out of the water and sees the fire of coals, and the Bible says, burning and cooking, baking on the fire of coals was fish and bread. Just imagine when Peter saw the fish and bread that his mind went back to John chapter 6 where a little boy with five loaves and two fishes brought his Lunchable to the disciples. I heard y'all were looking for something to eat to feed these people with. I know there's about 15,000 plus here, but if Jesus could do anything with this lunch, I'd like to give it to him. And the Bible says that Jesus blessed it, broke it, and multiplied that little boy's lunch. And the Bible says, listen to this, Jesus didn't feed the multitude. He multiplied the miracle. But then it says he handed the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples distributed it to the multitude. I wonder if when Simon Peter saw that fish and bread, his mind went back to all of that time he spent handing out fish and bread to all them people. Was it God's way of saying, I did it with your hands before, and I can do it with your hands again? If I let you touch it before, I'm going to let you touch it again. If I let you do it before, I'm going to let you do it again. If I let you hand it out before, I'm going to let you hand it out again. If I let you pass it around before, I'm going to let you pass it around again. If I let you split it, if I let you toss it, if I let you give it, if I let you do it, I 
want to do it again. You'll minister again. You'll do it again. Jesus is getting us back to the fire because it's the cure for a cold heart. He's rekindling us. He's reminding us. He's restoring us. Y'all still with me? Oh, it gets better. Just stay with me, I promise you. He said, they ate, they ate the fish and the bread. <laughs> this is cool right here. They're sitting there after dinner and the fire is still flickering. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? You love me more than these? I used to think he was talking about the disciples. Do you love me more than these? I think he was pointing at the fish. Do you love me more than this? Because you about went back to this over me. You about traded in a calling for a career. You traded in purpose for a position. You traded in a touch for a title. Do you love me more than this? Lord, you know that I love you. The second time he said, do you love me? Jesus, are you hard of hearing? Does a glorified body not have good ears? You know that I love you. A third time, Jesus says, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Of course I love you. And it hit Peter. Do you know him? I don't know him. Aren't you with him? I don't know him. Your speech betrayeth you. You're one with the Galilean. Cuss word, girl. I don't know you. Brought him back to a fire, and he put him back in place. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The fire is burning so that your love for him may be restored. Because your love for him is the cure for a cold heart. Oh, my God, if I didn't have to come back and finish this sermon, I'd give this mic to you right now and take off running. Y'all are not hearing me. I'm, I'm preaching out of a place of experience right here. I am preaching out of a deep pit in my soul where I remember what it was like to turn around and walk away from God, to wash my hands of my calling, to wash my hands of the ministry. I remember looking at all of my Bibles and my commentaries and slinging them off the shelf. I remember cussing the name of God. I remember being mad and bitter with full of rage, anger, and hatred at the church. I remember thinking that I would be put on the shelf or tossed in the trash can that God would never, ever put his hand upon my life again. And I know what it's like for God to follow me into my boat of rebellion and call my name and bless me when I'm bad and be good to me when I'm astray. I know what it's like to have God reach into my world and plug my love back in. Can I tell you today in 2020, as your pastor, I still love the Lord. 
I love him because he has been a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I love him because he has been a shepherd to this gone sheep. I love the Lord because he has healed me of all of my infirmity. I love the Lord because he's delivered me of all of my fears. I, do, I love him because he's been faithful. I love him because he's provided. I love him because he's full of mercy. His grace is real. His mercy and his faithfulness abide. I love him today. The question is, do you love him? Do you still love him? Because love is the cure for a cold heart. Help me close, J.J. I believe that this fire was a precursor. I believe the fire was a preview, if you will, of what was more to come in Peter's life. I think that when Jesus made this fire and Peter came up out of the water and saw it, it wasn't just there to rekindle him and remind him and restore him. I think this fire was there to revive him because this fire was Jesus' way of saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus hung around for 40 days after his resurrection. And he led them as far as to Bethany. And when he went to ascend back to heaven at the Mount of Olives, he told them. He actually reached all the way back to the beginning of his earthly ministry at his baptism. And he requoted something John the Baptist said. He, he went back. See, when John the Baptist was baptizing people, that religious crowd showed up on the scene and John the Baptist went, went into preacher mode and he went into prophecy. And he said in Matthew 3.11, he said, I indeed baptize with water. You see me baptizing with water under repentance, but there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch it or unloose. And he, everybody say he, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And Jesus, before he leaves, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Before he leaves, he looks at all the disciples, including Peter, and he says, I need you to hang out in Jerusalem and wait. Because our Father made a promise that you shall be recipients. <laughs> you got to remember, Jesus said, it's better if I go away. Did he not tell them that? He told them, it's better if I leave. Y'all do realize he was in a glorified body, meaning he would never, ever die again, meaning he could have stayed here another 2,000 years and walked with us in glorified flesh. He could have stayed here and walked by our side. But he said, it's better if I leave. Because when I leave, I send another one. A comforter with a capital C. 
someone, someone who is called to come alongside you. Watch this, watch this. He told him, he said, I need you to go wait for the promise of the Father because you need to be endued with power. Then the Holy Ghost comes upon you. He requotes what John says and says, You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. Watch this. Did you know after he resurrected, he walked into that room where the disciples were? I'm going back to John 20. He goes into the room, he appears to them, shows them his hands, his side. They see the scars in his feet. He eats with them. And then the Bible says this. He breathed on them. And he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he put his spirit in them. Do you know what happens the moment you become a Christian? The moment you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens? God lets you become the box. Oh, my God. Watch this now. He lets you be the dwelling place where his spirit comes to live. It comes to live in you. How many of you have been saved? You've been saved. You know it. Without a doubt, you're going to heaven when you die. You've been saved, been forgiven of your sin. You believe that Christ is the Lord. You, based on your faith, you have received the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I'm confused. In John 20, he said, I haven't had a tic-tac hang, so just get ready. He said, he said he breathed on them, receive you the Holy Spirit. Now what happens to us who are dead in sin when we put our faith in Christ? God breathes into us new life in Jesus, and we become recipients of his spirit. If they received the Holy Spirit in John 20, why did he tell them after in Acts 1, now go and wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you get endued with power. Because you, this is what happened, you who have the Holy Spirit have to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I, I did that. I got in that tank right there. I, I didn't say nothing about getting baptized in water. Oh, I, I, I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. He baptized me into the body of Christ and I became a part of the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you who have been baptized into the church, who have been baptized into the water. Have you yet met the condition that Jesus gave Peter and the disciples been baptized into the Holy Spirit. Baptize is the word baptizo, which means to plunge, dip, or immerse. When we baptize somebody in water, we fully immerse them. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God immersed you into the body of Christ. You became in covenant with God. Through His blood, you were baptized into the body. But Jesus says to the cold of heart, have you yet been baptized 
in my spirit. Have you experienced the fullness of his fire? Oh my God, are you getting this? There is coming one after me, John said, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He is mightier than I. And he will baptize you, plunge you, dip you, immerse you into the Holy Spirit and with. Could it be that when he walked up on that shore, it was Jesus' way of saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Watch this. Watch this. What is the baptizing? The baptizing. What is the immersion? What is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Let me phrase it to you like this. You have the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have you? Does he have you? I'm careful, I'm careful to relate this transaction to an experience. It's apparent to me. Lend, lend me your ears, my Baptist brethren. Lend me your ears and listen carefully. I used to doubt these theological parameters based on my upbringing in Christianity because I was told that, that the track ran out right here. That after, after I've gotten Christ and been recipient of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing left for me to have. And I used to come to a threshold thinking that the door was closed. But in 2018, after years of wrestling with the Holy Spirit and His Word, I came to that threshold once again and realized there is no door there. And that there was something God had for me that was not just an experience, watch this, but a condition. The question should not be, have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? The question should be, are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? Has he ever had all of you? And it is so apparent to me, I cannot divide this from the reality and truth of the text. Every person that became a Christian, it seemingly is so that they had this experience or acquired this condition post their conversion where they were immersed, filled, baptized in the fullness of God's presence and power and their Christianity went to another level of authority, boldness, favor, power, witness, surety, confidence, love, gifting, and fruitfulness. I can't get away from it. It's there. Jesus said to the cold of heart, there's more fire where this came from. And he ascends to heaven. And they gather in the upper room. And they're there waiting for 10 days. I got a sermon. When we get to that property in Baldwin, we're going to have a revival. And God's going to let me preach on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to preach about the day of Pentecost. And I'm going to preach on, do you have your own ghost story? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help y'all get ankle deep right now. We're getting there. We're getting there. He told them to go and wait and pray. And they're there waiting and praying 10 days, depriving their flesh 
and getting immersed in the presence of God in prayer. And the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, which was last Sunday, there was a sound that came from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the, it filled the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled. Oh, my God, this is just like Jesus said was going to happen. He said it was a promise that the Father gives his own. A promise that was made to you and to your children and your children's children and to all those who are far off. It's a promise. God guaranteed it. You can take it at the bank. It's a done deal. And he wants you to meet this condition and have this experience and walk in this fullness because it is the purpose of God for you to be endued with a power that is beyond yourself. This is not a question, do you have the Holy Spirit? This is the matter of, does the Holy Spirit have you? Because if the Holy Spirit has you, you will be consumed with the fire that he is. It will burn up everything in you that is not about him. It will burn up everything in you that is ungodly and unchristlike. It is a fire. And let me tell you something. I don't want a short change for somebody else's flame. I want to experience it for myself. I want to walk in it. I want to live in it. I want to breathe in it. I want to preach in it. I want to love in it. I want to bask in it. I want to rejoice. I want to have it. If it's meant for me, then I want it. If it's meant for you, I want you to have it. I want his fire. I don't know if anybody's hearing what I'm preaching, but I want his fire. I want the fire of his holiness to burn up all of my sin. I want the fire of his grace to smear out all of my stains. I want the fire of his authority to set me free from the fears and the falsehoods and the lies of the enemy. I want his fire. I want his touch. I want him. I want all of him. I want his fullness. I want to be consumed. I want to be overwhelmed. I want to drown in it. I want to swim in it. I want to walk in it. I want to run in it. I want to have it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.